Hey, well, good morning, everybody. You love and how many people just love daylight saving time weekend? Come on. Right, let's go. First of all, we're gonna get an extra hour of sunlight. Come on, somebody. That's amazing. And second of all, how many times a year do you get to feel like you got jet lag, right? I mean, today is the day. And so uh, we are finishing up our series today called Questions. Let's all say questions together, questions. And we've been looking at questions from Jesus, that Jesus asked a lot of questions. And he asked over 300 questions to us. And, you know, we've been unpacking some of these. And, you know, we started off with this. uh, The first question was, who do you say that I am? And then the next week we talked about, why do you doubt That was for y'all, not me. Like, why do you doubt? Because we all have doubts. The next week, we asked a profound question. What do you you want? And then last week, we looked at the very first words that Jesus spoke, the very first question that he answered when he was 12 years old in the temple. Jesus asked this question. Now, we know that kids ask a lot of questions, don't they? How many of you guys got preschoolers? Let's go. Like, you know, 100 questions a day. A hundred, that's why you came today. It was raining, you didn't care. You got rid of them for an hour and a half. Because it's like, I don't need any more questions. Like, why is the sky blue? Daddy, why did that man in the uniform give you a note? Like, they asked those kind of questions. You know, and, and Jesus didn't ask questions to get information though, did he? Jesus asked questions, but it was more for us than it was for him. It wasn't information for him. It was to stir something in our souls. You know, in life, what can happen is we go through life and we face disappointments and maybe, you know, we live a little bit and we've seen some things happen in the world. Man, there's this, there's this residue, man, there's, it just kind of settles over our soul just a little bit. And what questions do, it just stirs that residue off. Man, it helps us remember the future, helps us remember to stay curious. It helps us to remember that there's more out there for us, that there's new for us, that there's change for us, that there's transformation for us. And today, Jesus is going to ask a question. It's one of the last questions that he asked. And he asks it three times, like three times. Have you ever had somebody ask you the same question three times in a row? Like, like didn't, isn't that frustrating? He's like, what's up with you? I already answered this before. Like, I, I don't know why you're asking this. Like, why would Jesus ask the same question three times? It must be really important. It must be really important. You see, Jesus asked this of Peter. And I'm going to unpack all of Peter's story here in a second. But Peter... Peter had done something. He had betrayed the Lord. He had done something he'd said he would never do. He said he would die before he did that, and he did it. So Peter was living with regrets. And Jesus knew that if he didn't go after Peter's regrets, he would never be able to rescue him to live the life that he called him to live. Amen? And the same goes for me and you. How many people got regrets in here? Anybody got some regrets? How many extroverts are in the house today? Let's talk to you for just a second. Oh, like four. That's really dumb because I know there's more than that. And you extroverts wanted to raise your hand. How many extroverts in the house? Now, if you're an extrovert like I am, what that means is you have said something you have regretted and couldn't take it back. So we live with regrets all the time. You introverts have no idea the joy that that is in our lives. But man, we all have some things we look back in the past. Maybe we experienced some shame or embarrassment or humiliation for. We look back and we wish, I wish I'd have done that differently. I wish I wouldn't have said that like that. I wish I would have stepped in when I didn't. We all have regrets. And if we're not careful, those things can shape us. Man, they can color how we think And here's the worst part. They really shape what we think about ourselves. And listen, you will never act outside of what you think about yourself. You will never act outside of what you think about yourself. 
And so we're going to just unpack that in the life of Peter today. Now, before we get to these three questions, we need to understand the backstory of what's going on in Peter's life. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He was a follower of Jesus. And as Peter was growing up, like the dream for a Jewish family would have been that your son would be a rabbi right? That your son would be a rabbi. Like for us, many times it's, you know, different vocations, but in that culture, it was a rabbi. And so he would have gone to rabbi school, he'd gone to Jewish school, Hebrew school, and he would have learned a lot of the first five books of the Old Testament early in his life. And then they would transition into kind of studying what other people said about those texts. And as that process happened, you know, they would grow and certain people would elevate themselves and they would get hand selected to go to rabbi school. And Peter didn't. Peter went into the family business. And so in his mind, Peter's name was not rabbi because that's what he knew. And then Jesus comes along. And after Peter has been overlooked and not picked, Jesus picks him. And so we see that happen in Mark chapter 14. Uh, Mark chapter 14. I'm going to let me read that briefly just to kind of give an, an kind of an overview of how Jesus called Peter, because it's going to be really important to answer the three questions that we have for today. In Mark chapter, oh, no, actually, sorry, I'm going to go to Luke. I'm going to go to Luke first, then I'm going to go back to Mark in just a second. But in Luke chapter 5, and I'll start out in verse 3, you have Jesus is on the, he's on the shore of, of the lake, and he, he needs to teach. There's a lot of people surrounding kind of in this valley and mountains. And so he gets in the boat with Peter to go out from shore so he can talk to the masses of people who were there. And in verse three, it says he got into one of the boats and it was Simon's and he asked him to put out a little bit from land. Now, Simon is Peter. We're going to get to that name change here in a second. It says he has asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your net, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we worked all night long and we took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So you see, he, Jesus tells them where to fish. They catch a lot of fish. And that's in verse three through six. And then in verse 10, Jesus calls them. It says, Jesus says to Simon, after they finished fi- fishing, says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they have brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Right? So this is what Peter's done. Peter's a fisherman. Everything was centered around this. This is where his family worked. It's where his cousins worked. It was everything that his, his future was going to be. And Jesus says, hey, come on, follow me. In the midst of catching all these fish, in the midst of his success at fishing, as a matter of fact, Jesus says, come and follow me. Now, Jesus had a relationship with Peter. It wasn't like some random stranger walking by and said, hey, you want to follow me? It wasn't like that. He knew Peter. And so Peter leaves it all. And this is the first time probably Peter got picked. After he'd already been overlooked, Peter gets chosen. And you can imagine how Peter went around. Yeah, I'm with him. Oh, yeah, yeah, walking on water. Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm with him. Me and him, we're tight. Like, I, I actually walked on water with him. I saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, yeah, I was there for that. If you want, I can do that too. But, but, but like, that's the guy I'm with. I'm with him. So this is where all of a sudden now he's getting his value from following Jesus. So he begins to follow Jesus. Then Jesus changes his name. He gives him a new identity and in John chapter one, at the very beginning of John's story, before we get to what we're reading today, uh, Jesus changes in John chapter one, verse 42, he says this, he says, he brought him to Jesus. This is one of Peter's cousins, Simon's cousins. And Jesus looked at him. He said, you are Simon, the son of John. So that's his old name. He says, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now in that language, it meant boulder, 
right? Not pebble like your aquarium, like boulder, like Grand Canyon. Like, so Peter gets this name, Rock. Like, that's pretty epic, guys. Come on. Like, ladies, not so much. I understand that. But guys, like, that would be incredible. The foundation, the stability. And man, the truth is, all of us, our spiritual heritage can be traced back to Peter's preaching. I mean, he gives him this identity, and Peter begins to live it out. If you look at the life of Peter in the early church, Peter preaches. 3,000 people began to follow. He goes and plants churches all over Asia Minor. He ends up in Rome and writes a couple of letters. We're going to study those coming up in the next couple of months. I mean, Peter becomes somebody, and Jesus changes his name. Now, it, when, when this happens in the Bible, like we use names for identifiers, don't we? Like we call people by a certain name. It doesn't really mean that there's any meaning to that. Jesus gives them a new identity. Like when you name your kids, you'll name them something that you like and hopefully they'll live into. But the reality is God, when he gives a name, it's a new identity. It's based on your purpose. It's why you're created. It's your design. It's your destiny. Like this is how God wants us to live into this new identity. Jesus didn't come just to make bad people good. He came to give us a new identity. Amen, somebody? Like, this is why he gets a new name. So he gets this new name, Peter. Um, and and he, he knew that Peter was going to need this later. So when Peter denies him, he knows he's got to have to come back to this and remember. When things get difficult in ministry, he knows Peter's got to come back to this, to this name, to this new identity. Now, now, now here's, here's the reality. The most formative name that we have is on our birth certificate. It's not on our driver's license. It's not on that valuable United States of America passport. (laughs) The most formative name that we have is the one that we call ourselves. You call yourself some names? Like like when when you mess up and do something wrong, act outside maybe your values, you have some names you call yourself? I asked a, a dozen people this week about this. Everybody has a name. Usually it involves profanity, which I won't use up here. But we call ourselves some names. We have this negative self-talk. There's something that happens. This is why Jesus gives him this name, because he knows. He knows. And we're going to be prone to look at the negative. We're going to be prone to be our own worst critic. We're going to be prone to call ourselves a name. You will never act beyond how you see yourself. You'll never act beyond how you see yourself. If you think you're dumb, you'll never take advanced classes. If you think you're out of shape, you'll never go to the gym. And the list goes on and on and on. And when we call ourselves some names, what happens is we kind of seal the fate of our identity in something that God didn't give us. So Jesus is going to come back to this identity. Man, his name is branded, and we get branded. Did you ever have a teacher maybe call you a name? A coach? A parent? A friend? It sticks with you. It echoes in your mind for a long time. What is the name that you call you? What, what, what name do you call you? He knew that Peter, Peter needed to remember that who he was has to be determined by who God is. Who Peter was has to be determined by who God is. Now, then we see after Peter gets this massive name, after he gets called to be part of the movement, he rejects Jesus. He denies Jesus in Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, verse 29, we see kind of the setup to this. Jesus is kind of giving them last instructions. And he knows he's about to go and be executed, be buried, and then be resurrected. He knows things are going to be difficult for a time. 
that if they execute the leader, you know, that's exactly what they do to the followers. So he's trying to prepare them that they're going to die. And he says, you're going to all fall away. And he says, but after I'm raised up, I want you to go, I'll go before you to Galilee. In other words, I know, I know, I know you're going to be scared. I know you're not going to do what you think you're going to do, but don't worry. It's okay. I'll meet you in Galilee. And this is what Peter says. Peter said to him in verse 29, even though they all fall away, I will not. You see what he's happening? I'm better than they are. Yeah, Jesus, they're all weaklings and cowards. Not me. I'll stand up for you. I'll be the one. I don't care what they do. I'll, I'll even go to death for you is what Peter's saying. And then we see over in verse, we know that Jesus tells him, hey, before the rooster crows uh, twice, you're going to deny me three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. And then we see it happen over in verse 66. It says, Peter was in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you are also with that Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it. He said, I, I don't know him. I don't even understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed the first time. It says, then the servant girl saw him, began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But then again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear profanity, right? I don't even know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Peter buckles, Peter buckles under the pressure. And Peter denies Jesus. Like the only other thing that he could have done worse than that in that moment was actually to place the nails in Jesus' hands. He betrays the one he said he would die for. Can you imagine the regret? Can you imagine the, oh, I can't believe I did that. Can you just feel the intensity of the sadness? Even one of the accounts says that as Peter looked across the courtyard after that third time of denying him and the rooster crows again, that Jesus looks up and they lock eyes. Oh, what does that feel like? Because, you know, when someone looks into your eyes, Jesus looks into your eyes, he's peering into your soul. And he catches eyes with Jesus. And so now he's left with all this regret. And listen, the residue of regret is shame. The residue of regret is shame. Now, I'm not talking about guilt, right? Guilt is something that you've done. Like you may have lied or you may have cheated or sped or whatever. Like it's the event. But what ends up happening is when you begin to make that your identity, your guilt, the thing that you did becomes who you are. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. You've moved into this realm of shame. We all carry shame with us. Man, we don't get through this life unscathed, do we? Man, we, we do some things we wish we wouldn't have done, and we end up carrying them around. And it seems like they're all, it, it's always reminding us that it's there, right? This is what shame does. How many Spotify users in the house today? About 14 right here on the front row, right? <laughs> Come on. You guys need to get young. Thanks, Matt. You know how, you know how you, when you get at the end of the year, you get your favorites, they send you a link to all the songs that you listen to over the course of the year, all the podcasts, your most popular playlist. They send you, and you can just kind of review that. That's kind of what, the way shame operates. Also, if you think about your phone, your on your iPhone, you notice on the photo app how it sends you your memories, things that you did maybe over the past year, two years ago, or maybe five years ago on this particular day, this is what you were doing, just to remind you. That's always good. 
right? It's always something fun. It's something that's going to make you smile. But what shame does is it does the same thing in reverse. It just reminds us of the bad things, the things that cause us heartache, the things that cause us anxiety. Reminds me a little bit of uh, the movie Legend of Bagger Vance. I would ask y'all if you know it, but I'm not sure you were into it today. So come on, Legend of Bagger Vance, like great movie. I would say, and even if you're not a golfing fan, this is a great story of the gospel. It's a little older now. But in this movie, Will Smith, which that was even bad. I shouldn't have said who he was, I guess. But uh, he plays the Holy Spirit, basically. And this, he's this guide for uh, Randolph Juna, who's played by Matt Damon. And Juna is a professional golfer. He is the star of the South. He is the South's claim to fame. They love Randolph Juna. Juna goes to war. And he goes with some of his friends from Savannah and he takes them into battle. But when he comes back, he's the only one that survived. So Juno just comes back in shame and defeat. And he goes and he lives on the outskirts of Savannah. But then they're going to have this golf tournament with Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen. You know the story. And they're all excited and they need someone who will stand up for Savannah. So they send this little boy out to recruit Randolph Juno out in the slums of uh, the outskirts of Savannah. And they get into this conversation about alcohol because this is all Juno's doing is getting drunk. And so Hardy asks him, how drunk is drunk enough? And he says, it's all a matter of brain cells. He says, you see, every drink of liquor you take kills a thousand brain cells, but that's okay because there's billions more. He says, first, first, the sadness cells die. And so you just smile real big. And then the stupid cells die. So everything you say is really smart. And then the, then the quiet cells go, so everything you say is real loud. He says, but then the last to go are the memory cells. They're hard to kill. I think we've all experienced that. And shame has a way of creeping in on us and holding us back and, and coloring the way that we see the world. And, and sometimes we don't even realize this is what's happening. Man, Jesus has got to go after Peter's regret because it marks you. Listen, women and men, we experience shame differently. You know, for women, like I'm just not enough. Not good enough, not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not whatever, you fill in the blank. There's a commercial, maybe you guys remember it, Anjali, I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan, and never, never, never let you forget you're a man, come on. This is the level. Now, now guys, we deal, we, 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 we're, we're framed up, shame is framed up differently for us. Man, it's just don't be weak. You got to be strong. Man, you can't show weakness. Big boys don't cry. Don't let them see you sweat, right? You, you, you have to, don't be weak. I'm just going to run down a list of things that kind of describe shame for us. You have shame how you talk to your kids. I knew the room would get quiet there. Forgot to call, I drank too much, never enough, never good enough, thin enough, never strong enough, never pretty enough, never rich enough, never funny enough, never successful enough, never smart enough, never certain enough, never safe enough. Shame is getting up in the morning and looking at the scales. Shame is someone handing their, your phone to your son and remembering there may be something on there that he shouldn't see. Shame is having someone ask, when are you due for you to respond? I'm not pregnant. Shame is hiding the fact that I'm in recovery. Shame is being terrified your wife will find out. Shame is raging at your children. It's not making partner. It's your DUI. It's your infertility. Shame is being wrong. Shame is a sense of being defective. 
It's not believing you have what it takes. Shame is when people think that you're being weak, not eating the right way, not giving more money, not reading my Bible anymore, not praying, not serving. Shame at avoiding someone. Now, that shouldn't be the way it is, but this is how we process and experience the shame. All the things that we look at just hangs over us, and it holds us back the way a leash holds back a dog. So we hide. That's our response. You know what Peter did? After he denied Jesus and Jesus has been executed, Peter goes back fishing. He hides back in his old lifestyle. He hides back in his old vocation. And and we're masters at hiding. We can even invent new ways to hide. You know, have you ever met someone when you talk to them, they close their eyes? And you're like, you should get some eye drops for that. (laughs) But eye drops aren't going to cure that. And we hide behind our personality. You know, we hide maybe it's humor or controlling. Man, we just... We stay in control of the conversation. We stay in control of the relationship because we don't want anybody to ever step into an area where we feel insecure about. And we hide with performance. We just build real big walls that look really nice. and They look really expensive and they look like we've achieved something and we know what we're doing and we really fit in. But the reality is we're just building those walls of performance just to keep people out so they don't see who the real us is. You know, we, we, we hide through comparing. You know, we compare ourselves to other people and just try to always show we're just a little better. We're just a little bit more up there. And we hide through um, insecurity. And, And this is one of the reasons we have so much anxiety in the world. If you think about it, it's just like, it's because we compare and we look at whether it's Instagram or TikTok, social media or our friends. And it's like, oh, they're going to this place. They got this car. Or they get to do this, these things. And their life is so amazing because Instagram's always true, right? And we feel a sense of anxiety that we're not living up to what everybody else has. So we experience shame. Listen, shame is a great identity thief. And we don't recognize it at times. And we don't know it until it's too late. Like, if you think about how identity theft works, somebody's going to grab your social security number, your address, your phone number, some other details about you, your birthday, and they're going to go and they're going to open up 16 credit card accounts. They're going to buy three houses, one on the beach that you don't even get to enjoy in your name, and they're going to ruin your credit report and, and pile up bills that you can't ever repay. And this is what shame does. And it piles up these thoughts, these agreements that we have about the way life is, and we can never repay them. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. He's the one who gives us a new identity. He's the one who covers up all the things we did that shame would bring shame in the first place. He's the one who can fill the gaps in for our requests, regrets, and only Jesus can. But Jesus knows that when he sees Peter, he's got to go about it in the right way. Like, can you imagine he sees Peter? He's like, hey, Peter, no big deal. Don't worry about it. I died for that. You don't have to worry about it. Don't worry about it. No, no, no big deal. Oh, Peter, ha, ha. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. You didn't really mean it, did you? I know. That's not what he does. And Jesus goes back in minute detail to uncover everything, to remind Peter, number one, of who he was and who he is, but also to help Equip him not to do it again. So so as we look at the passage, and as Jesus begins to replay this 
in 2 Peter, it almost seems cruel. In John chapter 21, if you looked at verse 4, it says, As day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered, No. And he said, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Sound familiar? Didn't he do that when he called Peter in the first place? So they cast it, and now they weren't able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So we see the same thing. Jesus takes him back to the very beginning where he first called him when he was fishing. Like, it's really important. And Jesus is replaying this for Peter back where it first started. Then you'll notice in verse 9, this is when they, well, P Peter is typical Peter. Peter's the impulsive one, you know. He's the one with no filter. He's the one that just, you know, he's like shoot, then aim, fire, you know, or fire, then aim. You know, I mean, he's that mentality. So when they realize it's Jesus on the shore, he just jumps out of the boat and starts swimming. I actually think the boat beat him back, uh, but he thought he could get there faster. It says, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Now, this looks like a very obscure detail. However, two things. There's twice in the Bible that this charcoal fire, these words are used. One is right here, obviously. The second place it's used is when Peter was warming his hands, when the servant girl says you're with him and he denies Jesus. He takes Peter back to the scene of the crime in his mind. And he's, he is going in such detail to be sure that Peter is completely restored. He takes him back. And, and let me just ask this question. Like, what has happened to you that you need to talk to God about? Like, what do you need to go back to? What's that thing that every now and then you're like, ooh, hate that. Wish I couldn't remember that. Wish that could be washed away. Wish I wouldn't have done that. Like, what has happened and you need to go back? Sometimes we just want to get past things. Like, I'm forgiven. It's got to move past. It's got to pull myself up my, by my bootstraps and get on with it. When there is reconciliation, when there is forgiveness, I mean, Jesus is going to go to the depths to be sure that Peter gets restored. And then, and then, and then we see in verse 15, he calls him, uh, he says, when they finish breakfast, that another wild thing. Like Jesus is down there cooking breakfast for these cats. Like, what is he thinking? Like, this is amazing what level of care Jesus has for them. He says, Simon, son of John. Whoa, wait, didn't he change his name to Peter? Yeah. He's taken, he's taken him all the way back, all the way back to the beginning. He says, Do you love me more than these? And so when Jesus says, do you love me more than these, what Jesus is referring to is the other apostles. Because remember, Peter had said, I'm better than they are. I'll never deny you the way they did. I will die for you. He says, do you love me more than they love me? Now, now what Jesus is trying to point out is it doesn't really matter about them loving him. What matters is how much Peter loves him. And so he says, do you love me? More than these, he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Summon Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him, the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, it could seem cruel that, he did this in public. 
Like, couldn't he just grab Peter and say, hey, come here, let's talk to the side just a little bit. <laughs> hey, come over here. Let me, let me take you away from the crowd and away from, what, from everybody else. You know, remember that betrayal thing back there? We're, we're good, right? And he just does it in front of everybody. And why did he do that? It was the greatest kindness that Jesus could have shown Peter. Because in that moment, what he's doing is he's not just restoring him, he's publicly restoring him. He's communicating to all the other witnesses, to all the other disciples, Peter's going to be fine. He's got some work to do. He's not making it okay. He says, but listen, everybody has a second chance. Everybody gets to come back. Everybody gets to move forward. And this is what he's communicating. Man, I'll tell you what, we need more friends like Jesus in the moment, don't you? Man, we need friends who will challenge us, who will point out the areas where we got blind spots, people who will say things to us that nobody else would say. Because our definition of friendship these days is kind of like, oh, yeah, good for you. You do you. Oh, it's going to be fine. Oh, I don't know why they did that. I could have saved them from that destruction, but, I, you know, they got to be them. They got to learn the hard way. Man, but Jesus isn't that kind of friend. He's a friend that sticks closer to a brother. Iron sharpens iron. It goes on and on. And we need more friends like that in our life. Listen, do you have a friend that challenges you like Jesus challenged Peter? Can you imagine the tone that Jesus would have used in this moment? I mean, if it were me, I'd have been like, Peter, what were you thinking? Like, like, why did you do that? I told you so. Can you imagine the tone that Jesus is using in this moment? Kind, drawing out, firm, but compassionate. Do you love me? He asks him three times. Sometimes God allows you to fail so you realize it's his grace and not your success that gains us acceptance with him. God knows the worst about us. Oh, this is painful. God knows the worst about us and loves us anyway. Woo. The worst, like the worst thing you've ever done, God knows. He loves you anyway. I, I, and I love the fact that he uses this question, do you love me? Like, where did that come from? That didn't feel like it was on the agenda. Do you love me? But we know the great commandment is what to love God. So he's going after First commitments right here. Love God, love people, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Jesus is actually implementing the, first, the great commandment right here. And he's saying, do you love me? It's the most important of all. Do you love me? And he's not really asking Peter because he knows. But what he's trying to communicate to Peter is, yeah, I still love you. I'm not writing you off. I'm not, I'm not hanging out to dry. I'm not throwing you under the bus. I still love you even after what you've done. Now, we replay things in our mind over and over, and we end up regretting them, don't we? Jesus replays this scene, and what happens? Restoration. I love this, this saying. It says this, that Satan, Satan's going to use your past against you, okay? Whatever you've done, it's going to come as an accusation. Be like, yeah, there you go again. You better not try that. You better, you, you better not attempt that. And it's going to be negative coming at us. And we're going to just feel this overall sense of guilt. And we're not even sure where it's coming from. And, and that's clearly from Satan. And this is why Jesus goes to such detail. Anytime God convicts you of a sin or the Holy Spirit comes in and, and you, your conscience, you'll call it your conscience, but God's convicting you of sin. There's something you're like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. You know, it's going to be very specific. And this is why Jesus is going so much detail with Peter because 
because he wants it to be something that you get past, something that you can confess, something you can repent of and move on. Satan just wants to just, you to feel this overall blanket of bad. That's all Satan wants for us. This blanket of evil and this blanket of you're no good, you don't measure up, you shouldn't even try. And, but Jesus, what he's going to do, he's going to take something that happens to us, something that would cause shame. He's going to redeem it. He's going to restore it. He, Satan will use it against you. Jesus is going to use it for you and for other people. Come on, somebody. Well, like, here's the thing. Here's what I love about this. Like some of you guys, you, you have been through some trauma and tragedy, difficulty in life. You've done some stupid things. And you would say they were stupid. I'm not being, I'm not being gratuitous here, um, but it's really funny when the pastor says stupid up here. So, um, but you've done some things. You look back like, oh, I hate that. God wants to use that in somebody else's life. Listen, there are 50 other people in here that probably could hear your story. It would change their lives. Man, it would help them know there's hope. It would help them know there's a way forward. It would help them understand more about what they did. It would help them know that while no, it wasn't okay, yes, God can still redeem that. Man, it would give them a vision for their future that they could live into. And so it, while you're sitting around feeling sorry for yourself and like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I hope nobody finds out. God's like, let's tell somebody. Man, let's use it to redeem the kingdom. There's a family, there's a man, there's a woman, there's a parent that has done the same thing you've done. Hey, moms, the greatest thing you ever found out was when somebody else's child had a temper tantrum. Am I right? Like, oh, it's not just our family, right? You know what I'm talking about? Nobody? Okay. Man, the greatest thing that happens to us is when we feel, and I'm not saying this because misery loves company, but what I'm saying is, man, we need to acknowledge life's not perfect, we're not perfect, but Jesus is. This is what the love of the cross does for us. It just changes our lives. It, it allows us just to walk in self-confidence, knowing we're not defective or B-team, knowing that we're not left out or left over, that God does choose us. This is what happens when we can begin to walk in the things that we've done wrong. Now, listen, I'm not saying that we just get to, you know, do, the, do bad things and God's going to forgive me so I can just do bad things. No, that actually means you probably don't know Jesus if that's how you talk. But the reality is, man, Peter... Peter never got fully straightened out, y'all, right? Like Peter goes on to preach. He goes on to plant churches. He still gets called on the carpet for being uh, double-minded a couple of times, but he lives with a different kind of power and confidence now, and he doesn't let that hold him back. He keeps marching forward. He lives with some self-confidence. Listen, Satan's going to try to use it against you. Jesus uses it for you. In verse 18, Jesus says this, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death it was to glorify God. So, so Jesus predicts to Peter, this is how you're going to die. And, Jesus, and Peter died kind of like kind of like Peter, uh, Peter died kind of like Jesus did. So, so as the story goes in history, it's not in the Bible, but historians say that Peter was in Rome, going to be executed, going to be hung on a cross. And Peter says these words, Peter, the coward, remember Peter, the betrayer, Peter, the denier. He says this, he says, I'm worthy to die for my Lord, but not like my Lord. And he requested to be hung and crucified upside down. And he was. And Jesus is telling him right here, yeah, you know what? You're going to be forgiven. You, you still got work to do. And we still got a kingdom to move forward. We still got new frontiers. There's still people to reach. And then Jesus said these last words to Peter. He says, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Listen, follow me. The very first thing he had said to him when he was fishing, it goes all the way back to the beginning. And this is the call of people who know Jesus. Like, hey, wherever you are, Man, regrets and shame, 
man, uh, th- things that you just look back on, like, what was I thinking and how did that happen to me? And I hope nobody finds out, man, God already knows. He's just wanting you to be honest with you. Man, God knows. He just wants you to be honest with you. Follow me. Let my life look like Jesus looks. This is the, this is the command. This is what discipleship is. Follow me. And I think these are three questions we're going to have to ask. And I think we answer them. We're going to have to answer. And we answer them every single day of our lives. Do you love me? It's a question you're going to, you're going to get asked. Now, we, we, we live it out every single day. We live it out in how we treat people. We live it out in how we repent. We live it out in how we turn from things that, that are holding us back. Man, this week I went through and I wrote down like all these things I can remember being embarrassed about. It was terrible. Crying up here is one of them. Uh, and I just went through and just listed them out. Just started looking back over things, right? And just letting God, if God wanted to speak through that, then that would be fantastic. But, and, and sometimes it was fine. And sometimes like, oh yeah, you should drill down right there. Maybe, maybe that's for you today. But he's going to say, do you love me? Do you love me? Do my work. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? That's the question today. And that's the question I have for you. Do you love him? Like, do you want a new way to live? Do you want to be able to put this behind you? Right? It's never going to go away, but you can walk without the embarrassment and the humiliation and the shame. Don't you want to walk in self-confidence? Listen, a self-esteem help, self-help book is not going to fix this. Man, it's only the forgiveness that comes through Christ. Listen, he says he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. And when you stand in the court of heaven, Satan's going to bring out these regrets. Man, he's going to bring out everything you said or thought and say, look at there. And guess what? Guess what God's going to say? No, I, he's one of mine. He's covered with my blood. He's covered with my life. This is what we get. So why, why would you wallow and settle for a life less than what God offers? You don't have to. Do you love me? Let's pray together. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. As far as a, uh, as a father shows compassion to his kids, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He remembers that we're just dust. As for man, his days are like grass, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. God, just thanks that you overlook or you cover over. You don't overlook it. You cover over our sin, God, the places where we uh, may do things we know better. Sometimes we won't even know that we're doing them. God, the things that are holding us back, the things that we regret, Lord. And sometimes we won't even know the impact it's having in our hearts. And so, God, I just pray right now in this moment, you'd help us just to deal with that. God, the places in our life that we hope nobody finds out, man, the places in our life where we don't even like to think about, the places that we'd be embarrassed if we knew that you knew and we just had that conversation with you, God. Maybe it's something that happened to, to us, God, that somebody else did to us and we just feel this sense of shame. But God, you came to remove all that. You came to remove our sin. You came to remove our shame that we could just walk with dignity 
And so, God, we know that shame steals our dignity and that Satan wants to use it to hold us down. But, God, you want to use it just to release us. Man, just to help us see that it's not all our own. We're not on our own. We don't have to carry it. We don't have to make it right. We don't have to pay it back, God, that you cover our sin, Lord. We know that sin doesn't, the forgiveness of sin doesn't come without consequence, and it costs you your life. And we should take that very seriously, God. We're grateful, Lord. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, here's what we want to do to close out today on this magnificent Daylight Savings Time weekend. We're going to have some folks down here to pray, kind of is our, is our habit. And you may have walked in here with a heavy heart over something. Man, and, you're, and, and you didn't even hear much of what I said because you were so preoccupied with that. We'd love to pray for you, man. We'd love to pray for you. So as we stand and come down front, I'd love for you just to make your way down here so that we could pray for you. Hey, maybe there's something that you need God to forgive you of and you need to just really need some his, the Holy Spirit to come into your life to help you move and to give you next steps in dealing with it. We'd love to pray for that. But it doesn't have to be that. I know that, you know, if you have a sermon, say, hey, those of you who have shame, come down, let's pray for you. That just feels uh, like you, you just kind of cut all that off. So it doesn't have to be for that. But also, we just want to, we're a place that just values being real. And we value inviting God to be relevant in everything that we do. So that's what we want to do as we continue to worship. So if you would, let's all stand together. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down front while you guys come and let's pray.